0: One of the uh, most powerful days of my life was the day that I ran my first half marathon. I uh, did not grow up being very athletic. I was a little insecure about my capacity to to run a half marathon. I never thought I'd do it, but I decided that this was something that I was going to pursue when I was in my early 30s. And so every morning, uh, Saturday morning, I'd get up and I'd put on my running shoes and I'd go running through those beautiful trails in the East Bay and Walnut Creek. And every week, I ran fa- farther than I'd ever run before in my life. I don't know if you've ever had that experience. I later did a marathon and it was like, wow, this is, I've never actually gone this far before. And it was a a challenge. I mean, not only physically was it a challenge for me to learn uh, to run and learn how to run and to, um, to, to see my body go farther than it ever had. It was also a challenge emotionally and mentally because there were moments where I thought I couldn't go any further, and I wasn't sure that I could go on. And yet the miles began to stack up. Five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11. And finally, the day came for this women's marathon in Alameda. And I, if I hadn't told so many people that I was going to run this half marathon, <laughs> I would have backed out. I was so nervous about running that half marathon. I'll never forget that feeling of just wanting to drive back the other way. But my family all came with me, and they dropped me off, and I I walked up to this crowd of women that were were getting ready, and the music was, was pumping, and everyone was stretching, and talking to their friends. And I realized that for all of these months, I had been running alone. And i had had to kind of battle my personal struggle every morning to, to get out there and do what I needed to do. But in reality, as I, as I was there, I realized that all of these women had been training with me. That indeed, I had not been alone. And then as we ran the race, it was an amazing experience. I was, I was literally on the verge of tears for so much of the race because uh, there were little families cheering on their mom or their grandma or their sister little pockets all along the race and so you'd see this this young mom um, running along and all of a sudden there was her her five-year-old and her three-year-old holding their signs and they'd run out and they'd they'd give her a hug and she'd keep running and I think around mile 11 my family caught up with me and, and my girls ran with me for a little while and um It was just the most powerful experience of a day to be with these people running together. And so whenever I come to uh, All Saints Day, I think of that text in the book of Hebrews that says, Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us run with endurance the race that is marked out for us. And as we come on this day where we are remembering that great cloud of witnesses that has gone before us, we are invited to to run our race knowing that we are surrounded by those people, by those stories. Well, Saints Day is deeper than just remembering names and giving thanks for life. It's about remembering that we are in this community Of saints, this community of people with similar hopes and dreams, with struggles far worse or far easier maybe than ours, and yet we are all together and listening to those voices together. Would you pray with me? Oh God, we thank you that as isolated as we sometimes feel, we are not alone. You are with us, and may we. Feel that weight. Feel that weight of you surrounding us. Remember those who are running with us. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. These texts that Carrie read are from Isaiah and from Revelation. Uh, both books of prophecy, both books uh, written in an apocalyptic literature style. Uh, as we were looking at these books, um, at the text in the Sequoias this week, someone said to me, Why is Revelation even in the Bible? Um, that's a really good question um, because, because uh, it seems that in some ways these books have caused more problems than they have solved. Uh, for us in the church that I grew up in, in the late 70s and early 80s, we would have these prophecy conferences where people would come and they would project up these slides, you know, I'm thinking now it's probably on an overhead projector, you know, um, these slides that would map out the end of the world and the end of time and the battles of Armageddon and the rapture uh, that would take us all away. And, and there was, they were taking from these different books and they were putting it all together into this system and it was very frightening for me as a young girl, in fact. A story that I like to tell with the moment um, was when my family, I was home by myself and I went outside and I couldn't find my family anywhere. And I was yelling and yelling for them. Turns out that they were around the the house, but I was convinced that I had been left behind in that moment and they had all been raptured up. So, you know, very, very frightening. Um, And these books have been used to frighten many, many others. So, um, But as I have learned about these books, I've, read, I've realized that we're re- we read them wrong. So we read them from our, our vantage point of, first of all, being in the, um, the first world, as some people like to say, being in this place of privilege, being in this place of relative comfort, and reading into the text and saying, from our perspective, and seeing all this chaos and violence, and, and then it's kind of used to, to create more chaos and violence and fear, when in fact the texts were, were written in chaos and violence and fear. They were written by people who were in desperate circumstances. They were written by people who were uh, under threat of being kicked out of their home, of their native lands, and then they were written by by refugees or exiles who were trying to make sense of, of what had happened to them. And then um, they were also written by people that were suffering. The Re- revelation is written by s- someone who is suffering under the weight of the Roman Empire and trying to make sense of it. So, so it's hard for us in our, in our relative comfort to understand that kind of literature. But it maybe it's a little easier to imagine when you think about what it would be like to be in such desperate circumstances, to be suffering so deeply, to be persecuted, to have the world be so uncertain. And then and then how you might want to try to make sense of that. And I think there is something in us that says, well, that, that is less and we know more because we're more educated because our lives are more secure. But actually, I think there's a very deep wisdom in these books, because we're listening to the voices of those who are truly desperate and able to hear in a different way what their vision is, what their hope was. And what they see from within that chaos, what they see from within that place, of desperation are the words that were read earlier, that God is going to prepare a feast for all people, a rich feast with wonderful wine where everyone can sit and dine. That God will destroy the, the, the word that's used as the shroud that covers us. And we know that shroud, right? The shroud of fear, the shroud of not being able to see clearly, the shroud of the fear of the outside or whatever that shroud is over our cultures. The ways that we are blocked from seeing the reality of love. They see God destroying that. They see that God will come and be revealed in love and freedom and not in fear. They see that the city of Jerusalem will not be wiped away and decimated, but will instead be a new Jerusalem, a place where there are no tears and there is no suffering. This is the vision that we hear from within the suffering of people thousands of years away. Love was what they saw through their faith in God. They had a vision of hope. They had a vision of peace. I think one of the greatest tragedies for us in our in our current lives and in our realities, is that we are so limited in in our viewpoint that really um, we most of us have the capacity to to drive in our driveways, maybe even drive into a garage and close our garage and get into our car or into our house and not have to see anyone on the street. That. That now we are in the last 10 years so uh, devoted to our little devices in our hands that we we think our reality is limited to that that news feed that comes up and those notifications that pop up and tell us what we need to pay attention to. And we neglect and forget that we live in this larger community of people of saints a 1,000 years ago writing to us from desperate circumstances, of people maybe across the Silicon Valley that, that have a very different reality than our reality that we encounter every day. And so our perspective becomes very narrow. I love the Native American perspective to always live seven generations forward and to honor their ancestors. And I think the call of these texts and the call of this day is to invite us to expand the community in which we are living, to expand it out of our our small perspectives of our lives, to expand it out of what comes from our phone or from just a few people that we maybe have conversations with, and to make it really, really, big, to listen to these voices from thousands of years away, to listen to voices across the, our world. I think this is one of the best reasons honestly, to come to church on a Sunday morning is, is you get to hear these thousand-year-old texts and take that into your consideration. You get to sit next to somebody who, who has a very different perspective from you and who's had a very different week than you have. When we gather in this space, we, we join that community of hope. We are reminded of that feast that the writer of Revelation was inviting us to. And the invitation that we hear over and over, from within a desolate situation to to the recesses of our own heart, is an invitation to love. To love beyond our present divisions. To love beyond our suffering. To hold a vision of a feast of communion, to hope against all hope that this is the ultimate reality, this is undoubtedly and unapologetically an act of faith, but we are not alone. We are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses inviting us to hold this vision. I'd like to invite end today by reading a poem by David White, which invites us to see all of life as an invitation to community. Your great mistake is to act the drama as if you were alone, as if life were a progressive and cunning crime with no witness to the tiny, hidden transgressions. To feel abandoned is to deny the intimacy of your surroundings. Surely, even you, at times, have felt the grand array, the swelling presence, and the chorus crowding out your solo voice. You must note The way the soap dish enables you. Or the window latch grants you freedom. Alertness is the hidden discipline of familiarity. The stairs are your mentor of things to come. The doors have always been there to frighten you and invite you. And the tiny speaker in your phone is your dream ladder to divinity. Put down the weight of your aloneness and ease into the conversation. The kettle is singing even as it pours you a drink. The cooking pots have left their arrogant aloofness and seen the good in you at last all the birds and creatures of the world are unutterably themselves. Everything is waiting for you. Put down the weight of your aloneness this All Saints Day and join in the community of saints who are cheering you along, who are speaking words of hope and faith and love and freedom.